James chapter 4 and verse 6. I began our series in the book of James early this year. We've been going through verse by verse. It's been powerful. Um, My wife preached last week. She was bestowed pastor. The week before that, Pentecost, we had a special guest. So this is my first time to preach in a few weeks. But uh, I felt like I needed to go back a few verses. We're actually in verse 11 if we were to pick up, but we need to put this in context a little bit. He, uh, James chapter 4 in verse 6. Are you there? All right, I'll give you a second. It's in the Bible app if you like to use that. James chapter 4 in verse 6. This is what it says. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Everybody say sinners. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. I just wanted to encourage you with the Bible today. Uh, Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. For he who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Wow. Let's pray. And let's ask for the Lord's hand on, his time, on this time as we open his word together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is life, it's instruction, it's correction, it's rebuke where we need it. And I pray that today, Lord, your word would accomplish all that you desire. That man's wisdom would fall by the wayside and that the wisdom from on high, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would speak today with great clarity in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, church. I want you to help me pray. Pray for a mighty anointing. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be released, to loose in this place. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I ask you to anoint us, Almighty God. Give us liberty in receiving your word. Give us eyes to see and ears that hear, a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking. I pray, Jesus, even as you had an anointing to preach the word, I pray for an anointing to be upon me, O God, that with authority under the unction of your spirit, I would preach and I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. I bind the works of the enemy and I pray the spirit of truth would be made manifest in our midst. In the name of Jesus I pray and if you believe it say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. It's going to be a good message. I, I want to talk today about position. Everybody say position. Position's very, very important for us to to understand. And you'll notice there's a number of references throughout our text today talking about our position. Uh, Our position, you see, um, uh, I was reading in the Old Testament this last week, and one powerful example is with, uh, with Saul. Saul was a regular guy, 
of an insignificant tribe, but the Bible says when he was anointed by Samuel, the Spirit of God came upon him, and this is radical. The Bible says he became another man. You understand what the anointing can do. How many of you, when the Spirit of God came upon you, God began to work in your life like, I became a different person. I'm not who I was when God began to work in me. If you knew me in 2004, as I was just beginning to, as I was approaching that surrender moment, boy, and you look at me today, I'm a different man. I'm a different man than I was. That's something. What happened? What happened to Saul? Well, the Lord came and anointed him and gave him a position. You're a king. You're anointed as king. His story didn't end out in real good. That's a sermon for a different day. But uh, you're going to stay in position. You're going to stay in the anointing. Amen? Now, we see it even in the natural. I don't know if you've ever noticed that certain people can pray for individuals, for healing. And how many of you have noticed there's some people that have great success in praying for healing or praying for freedom. There's people that just seem to have an authority when it comes to releasing the works of God. I don't know how they prophesy. I want to do that. But even Dr. Morocco tells a story about an individual, deliverance ministry. And this guy, I mean, I've seen some radical, you know, vocal, uh, you know, just demonstrative deliverance ministry, and I'm totally fine with all that. But Dr. Morocco tells a story about a guy preached on deliverance and uh, and then commanded in the service anybody who's demonized stand up and everybody just like zombies man and just come come with me and these guys like zombies come walking after him and the guy sits down begins to sip tea what's going on with you oh rage all right rage go in Jesus name and the person would get set free. I mean, full-on demonic manifestations, but this person had such an authority in the realm of deliverance that uh, drinking tea while he's going about it. That's amazing. Now, how is it? Now, you got some people like that, some people with authority for healing, and on and on. I'll tell you, it's position. It's authority. It's position. It's authority. Do you know where you are seated? Do you know who you belong to? Have you received an anointing from God for the role that he's called you to? Well, we're going to talk about that position today. We even do this as a church. My wife, you know, this last week was elevated as a pastor within King's Cathedral and chapels. Minister Rylin's wife was raised up as a minister. Well, why do we do that? Well, as we watch people faithfully serve the Lord, and as the church leadership observes, there's an anointing increasing upon their lives, and God is trusting them with more, than, more and more. We will give them a title that is in alignment with the way that God is positioning somebody within the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about, everybody say position. It's very important today. You'll notice that everything in this section, in fact, I'll give you my points even before I preach them. Number one, we have a spiritual position, a spiritual position. Number two, we have an earthly position. Where are we in relation with others on the earth? And number three, we have an eternal position. We have a spiritual position, an earthly position, and an eternal position. And I will tell you, all of this hinges on one idea. I don't know if it's bold in your text, but it's all big capital letters in mine. James 4, 6, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists 
the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to say those words with me. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's try it in. God resists the proud, but gives grace. Yeah, everything in this, you'll notice if you look through this entire chapter, everything is leading up to this idea right here. You can look back and why are there disagreements and why are there wars and why, why do some people choose friendship with the world over friendship with God? All of it comes down to this one idea, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. All of these disputes, all of the rebellion against God, all of this is summarized in one idea you have chosen to embrace pride rather than surrender your life to Jesus. In fact, it continues to build on this, and I'll tell you, I gave you the points already, but I will just give you the, the key to all of this, your position in the Spirit. If you want to grow in authority in the Spirit in whatever area, grow in the anointing, I'm telling you, it hinges on pride and humility. If you want to increase your position in life, your earthly position, it hinges on pride and humility. If you want to assure your position for all eternity, am I looking towards heaven or do I have the fearful expectation of judgments uh, that Hebrews 10 talks about? It all hinges on pride and humility. So we're going to examine ourselves today. I think this will bless all of us no matter where we are. But look at verse 7, James chapter 4. It says, submit to God. Everyone say, submit to God. We talked about this is, a, this is a military term. I'm going to come into alignment with the commanding officer. I'm going to come into submission to God and what he's declaring. And the Bible says we are to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Number one, this is our spiritual position. Our spiritual position. Everyone say spiritual position. Position matters. I was reading last week about King David and I love it. I, I was reading in the Amplified. It's just where my daily reading had me. And I love the detail that the Amplified goes into. I mean, this guy, he, he's, he's going to deliver cheese and bread to his brothers on the battle line. I mean, literally delivering pizza. And he goes and he comes with the pizza. And he hears this monster of a man, Goliath, harassing and taunting the people of God. And he goes to... Saul the king and it says who is this who defies the armies of God and offers to be the one to go and fight this giant and what's amazing is he's like well who are you I mean you don't have battle experience and all that and he says yes I do he's like you don't understand I was there and God was with me when a lion came to attack my sheep God defended me when a bear came. I overcame the lion. I overcame the bear. In the very same way that God was with me then, God will be with me right now. I will defeat this giant. And God, he was assured of his position. He was assured that God was with him. Do you walk with that same kind of confidence? Do you know, ah, God, you're fighting my battles. God, you're contending on my behalf. I am not going to walk or live in fear because I know you are with me. You're at my right hand. You're going before me. You're following up behind me. You're in me. You're around me. I mean, I don't, 
That should boost your confidence. You understand who God is and who you are in him? Oh, my goodness. Bring on to Goliath. Bring on the battles because he's fighting on my behalf. So God, so David had confidence knowing all of these things. Now, Ephesians 2, 6 says, For those who are in Christ, we are seated, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I want you to ponder that for a moment. Jesus, we know, victorious over hell, death, and the grave. He has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says far above all principality, authority, power, and dominion. Jesus is victorious over them all. Now here's the crazy thing. How many of you have surrendered your life to Jesus? He is your Lord. He is your Savior. Okay. There's about half the room. We need to do an altar call. Now, I know some of you dedicated taking your notes, and that's why you didn't raise your hand. But here's what I want you to understand. If you are in Christ, Ephesians says that you are seated with him in heavenly places. The same position Jesus has, the same authority Jesus has, you have. That's why I pray with confidence and assurance. I don't, people come to me and I need healing in my body. Listen, I don't, have, I don't have power to heal a pimple. I cannot do anything for you. Yet, I've seen cancer broken off of people. I've seen, I've seen radical miracles take place. Incurable sickness and diseases completely healed. Why? Because I'm positioned. In Christ, I am seated with him in heavenly places. What is it? I'll never forget God gave me a vision, and it was, it was a strange kind of, kind of vision. But uh, years ago, I saw this picture, and I saw like a hand. I mean, it almost looked like something out of a horror movie, but it was like a hand pushing through skin, pushing through skin. And I'm like, what in the world is that, God? But it was like a faithful. It wasn't a scary thing. And I, and, I, and I felt the Lord speak to me as I am in Christ. And I stretch forth my hands. I'm in him. And it's his body. It's his touch that's being extended to touch people. You realize he's the miracle worker. He's the one with authority. He's the one with power. It's his voice that comes through me when I'm telling, man, spirits of discouragement, they need to cease in the name of Jesus. Any of you, anybody positioned in Christ today? Anybody have authority? Come on. Come on. You better praise God like you do. Hallelujah. Now, I got to speak this last week to our, our youth on Maui. Did four sessions of mass deliverance. It was awesome. And we, uh, you know, people grinding their teeth and growling and sweating and crying and all of this. And I didn't let anybody leave the room. I said, I know these demons are going to get uh, irritated and you're going to want to get up and run out. So we're not leaving. Nobody's leaving. I don't care if you feel like you got to vomit or uh, whatever. You're not doing that. And so, but why? I began to talk to these guys and we were going through this whole thing. And I said, the only reason the devil, if you've ever tried to rebuke him, and he doesn't go. The way I, I pose it to them, I said, have you ever tried to rebuke the devil and he doesn't buke? And they, you know, it took him a second to catch it, just like it takes you a second to catch it. But have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to rebuke the devil and it doesn't seem to listen? 
So we need to begin to analyze, and I, and I walk them through this. I said, there are areas where you have intentionally opened and given the place to the enemy of influence in your life. Ephesians says, give no place to the devil. Literally a foothold, a stronghold, a place to grab onto. But when we sin, there are times where we can crack that door open. The enemy may seize the opportunity, and now he's got a hook of influence in our life. There are areas where maybe it's through a wound. You didn't invite it. You didn't welcome it. But through a wound, maybe somebody hurt you, abused you, spoke a word against you, uh, and it did something. Jesus said that he came to uh, bind up the brokenhearted. It says that he came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. It literally means bruised. So there are times where the enemy bruises us. And you didn't ask for it. You didn't ask for that hurt. You didn't ask for somebody to abandon you. And yet, the devil has sought to steal, to kill, and destroy. Because that's what he does. But if we would allow Jesus, he can come. If you've committed sin and opened doors, he can forgive you. If you've been wounded, he can come in. And bind up that brokenness and take away that trauma and begin to bring healing and restoration to your life. And so we began to, to walk through these things. Why? Because I'm not going to give position to the devil. It's the only reason he has right in our life. But if you break that agreement, if you close that door, he doesn't have position any longer. And then we stand in the authority, the position that we have in Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a whole world that you and I can move into. In fact, I love what happened in Luke chapter 10, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gathers together his 70 disciples at that time. And he says, I'm going to give you authority, position. I'm going to give you authority. And everywhere you go, I want you to preach good news. I want you to heal those who are sick, and I want you to cast out devils. And these guys go. They scatter throughout the entire region, and they're preaching good news, and they're healing the sick, and they're casting out devils. In fact, they come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, it worked. Even demons are subject to us in your name. They couldn't believe it. But Jesus says something so radical. I want you to hear me on this because, friend, today, some of you who have not had the confidence or the authority to pray for the sick and see them healed or to pray over someone who's demonized or your kid who's having nightmares or the harassing that comes upon, some of you who have lacked authority and position today, that's changing. Today, that's reversing. I want you to hear what Jesus said. Jesus, even demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus, I think we've got the verse here, Luke 10 and verse 20. Jesus said, don't rejoice that evil spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. What's that? Position position. You want to know why you can cast out devils? Because you're seated with me in heaven. You want to know why you have authority over sickness and disease? It's because you're with me in heaven. It's all about position. So is your name written in heaven? Are you seated with Christ in heavenly places? Friend, if you are, oh my goodness, that cancer better watch out. The devil better watch out because you and I, the people of God, born of God, with an inheritance and authority. Oh my goodness, we're extending the kingdom of God everywhere we go. You have position. You have authority. Come on, elbow your neighbor and tell him, you have authority! 
Hallelujah. That's what happens when we submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. So we have spiritual authority. Now, the second one we're going to talk about is our earthly position. Earthly position. If you're taking notes, write that down. Everybody say earthly position. James 4.8 says, draw near to God. Notice the invitation. And he will draw near to you. You draw first. And then he responds. He draws near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Well, I'll explain this in a moment. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, you'll notice there's something conditional right here. I have the expectancy... That the moment I surrendered my life to Jesus, the trajectory of my life changed. I started out in a particular place. I was in rebellion to God for the first 18 years of my life. And my life was on a downward spiral straight into hell. But today, the trajectory of my life has been completely reversed. Since that day, July 6, 2004, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Now I'm on an upward trajectory. I'm moving up the mountain. I'm moving towards the glory of God. And the Bible says, as I fix my eyes upon the glorious face of God, I am moving from glory to glory to glory. I'm just going to tell you, if there are individuals that you observe their life and their life is getting worse and worse and worse, and yet they profess Christ, there's something wrong, friend. There's something that is out of order. I don't say this to be braggadocious. I don't say this to, to you know, because I'm somebody. But you understand, the moment I surrendered my life to God, everything got better. That addiction that nearly took my life was completely gone. And ever since that time, I have gotten more freedom and more joy and more peace. I mean, God has continued to work. My relationships, oh my goodness. I, I met a couple after the first service, pastors for 20 years in Wisconsin. And they were saying, brother, you don't understand how amazing your wife is. And I said, I understand. I would not want to do anything that I do without this woman of God. What a great gift. What a great blessing that she is to me. Guys, in my greatest pursuit, I never, I never could have received somebody as wonderful as she is. Why? Because God, God is gracious. My kids, oh my goodness, they're so incredible. I'm listening to them sing and pray and prophesy. I mean, guys, I look at my life, even in the ministry. And again, I'm not bragging. I want you to understand this. But in the ministry, things have only gone up and up and up. I've had titles. We've had larger meetings. God has trusted us with larger ministries. Why? Because it's part of the kingdom. As you are faithful with what he gives you, he will trust you with more. He's a God of increase. His kingdom is ever increasing. And if you're a part of what he's doing in the earth, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get greater. But I want you to hear me. I'm not saying you won't have trials. You won't have moments that test your faith and, and stretch you and like, boy, this is a season. God's really working some things in me. I understand all of that. But the general track of my life has been glory to glory. And you're going to be on that too earthly. If you're not there, hallelujah, don't trip. 
If you're not there, if your life is not going from glory to glory, well, the Bible gives us some keys in how we can make sure that we're in line. In fact, I want to teach you a word. This is a theology word I want you to write down. This is, I, I don't know if you're here and you're like, how can I increase in authority? Or pastor, my life is not going glory to glory like you're describing. What can I do? And if you're here and you're wondering, like, what am I missing? Why do I pray for healing and I don't see it? Why am I a giver but I don't see the increase? What is going on? There's one word I want you to understand in the Bible that can radically change everything. This is the differentiator between whether you're receiving or whether you're not. I'm going to spell it for you. Are you ready for this word? You'll see it connected to almost every promise in the Bible. I'll spell it for you because it's a long one. I... F. There it is. If. This is the deciding factor in so many areas of breakthrough in your life. I did a video this last week, scriptures, dealing with a blessing and increase in prosperity primarily in finances. And I didn't even give commentary or teaching on it. If you want to criticize, I know you guys don't, but if other people want to, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm literally just reading the Bible in this video. But as I was going through all of these verses, one of the things that I noticed was how many times the word if was attached to it. For example, Joshua 1.8, I will prosper you and I will make you successful. How many of you want that in your life? You want God to prosper you and make you successful? Ah, ah, if you meditate on my word and obey it. If you obey my word and obey it. Oh, Jesus, I want that hundredfold blessing. He talked about that in Mark chapter 10. I'll give you a hundredfold houses, properties, everything that you've left. Uh, but if you're willing to leave all and follow me, if you're willing to give it all and go after Jesus, Jesus, even if you don't give it, I'm still willing to follow you. Whoa. You will profit in all things, 1 Timothy 4, 8. If you are godly. This is just one example. I could give you dozens and dozens. Why do I pray for a healing and I don't have it? Well, have you followed the ifs? If anyone among you is sick, call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Have you followed the if? Did you call for anybody to pray for you? You have anybody agreeing with you? Did you get anointed with oil? Then don't complain that this healing stuff doesn't work. All right, I need to, I'll, I'll take it down a notch. I, are you with me today? Are you with me today? You say, God, open the heavens, pour out revival. Oh, God, heal our land. We always, we like to quote that Second Chronicles verse, right? Uh, 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 that he will forgive our sin, he will heal our land. But you'll notice it begins, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then... I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. Then I will forgive their sin. Have you grabbed hold of the if? Friend, you and I have the opportunity. And James gives us an invitation. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Healing for your broken, divided heart. Oh my goodness. We need to get serious about this. This is the if that is holding some of you back. 
Some of you like, I, I, I believe for promotion in the workplace, and I believe for pay raises, and I, and I believe for opportunities for ministry, and I, I believe, but it's not happening. Check the if. Have your hands been cleansed? Has your heart been purified? Have you humbled yourself in the sight of God? I'm trying to help you today, friend. I'm trying to help us today. You know what sin is? The problem is most of us, we, we ignore sin. Everybody say sin. Not everybody said it. Everybody say sin. What is sin? You learned this in Sunday school, if you grew up in Sunday school. Sin simply means to miss the mark. It's the idea, there's a bullseye over here. And I've got a bow and arrow, and I stretch it out. It doesn't matter how many times I practice. If I know it, I can see it. I get it sighted in. And I can, I can do my best. But on my own, I will always miss the mark. And that's what it is. Sin is when we miss the mark. Sin. And, and friend, this is why our, our text today begins with God gives more grace if you humble yourself. We must acknowledge my hands are not clean. My heart is not pure. Jesus, I need your grace. It's the only way you'll ever hit the mark. We were helping a family move yesterday or two days ago. And I, my wife cracks me up because, you know, she, she likes hard work. I mean, when we're, like, knocking down walls and doing all this kind of stuff, like, that is her deal. Uh, you want her to teach you a Bible study or any of that? that not so much. But you want to go knock down some walls or uh, chop down some trees? Praise God. And so we're here, we were, we were helping this family move, and you know, you just, you're picking up couches and stuff, you get dust and grime on your hands, you know, you're sweating and all of this, and none of that bothered my wife, none of it bothered my wife, until we were walking into the place that we were, they were moving into, and a dog comes up and begins to nose and lick her hand. Now that... No, we're not doing that. So she immediately, I, I need a sink. I need to find a, where, where can I wash my hands? And uh, what is it about I, I, the dust? None of that bothered her, but boy, the dog knows and the dog lick. Yeah. Not doing that. What is it? You know, she, I, got, I got junk on my hands and I need to wash it. We need to be honest enough to acknowledge, God, I got this thing in my life and I know it grieves you. And it's hindering me from doing all that you've called me to do. And I'm humble enough to acknowledge my sin before you. See, I didn't plan on this, actually. I, for those who know, I, I began preaching verse by verse through the book of James in January. And I don't plan this kind of stuff, but I don't think it's a coincidence. And it's, I didn't preach the last two weeks. My wife preached last week, the week before we had a guest minister. But I don't think it's a mistake that the week that I... I'm here to preach. We're right in the middle of what is called Pride Month. And our text is about pride. And I want you to hear me on this for a moment. I began to do some research and like, where, where did this whole idea of pride in connection with the LGBT community, where did this even come from? And, and it was a part of the sexual revolution that happened in the 1960s. In 1969, there were a group of police officers who went into a gay bar and began to beat on a number of homosexual individuals. And it was a horrible crime. It was evil. It was wicked. But 
the response to this was, you know what? We need uh, for, for, for this community to be able to come out proudly. We need them to not be ashamed any longer and hiding any longer uh, because everybody deserves dignity and acceptance and, and love. And, and while I agree with that, here's, here's my problem with this the whole strategy. It's hard for me as a Bible-believing man of God to see pride as a solution for oppression. It's hard because pride power, even according to what we're seeing today, pride power is contrary to Holy Spirit power. The key and the factor for freedom and acceptance and love is not pride. It's humility. I'm going to humble myself to the power of God. What happened with Adam and Eve? You understand that pride is not isolated to, to the LGBT community. You know, every one of us battle pride in moments. Every one of us have these moments. Adam and Eve decided, well, my way is better than God's. I'm going to listen to the serpent. Uh, the problem is Satan himself had a moment. We, he was known as Lucifer. He was a worshiper in the glory of God, created as you know, the most beautiful, glorious angel in all of creation. And here he is. And he decides somewhere along the road, I deserve recognition. I des I've been in the shadows. I need to be known. And this pride caused him to make all these statements. I will ascend. I will be lifted up. I will come up to the throne. You'll notice when pride came into the garden, the shame of Adam and Eve was born. You see what? An entire community of people were looking to get. We don't want to be ashamed, but they embrace the very thing that brings shame. I guess the big challenge that I have is I've never met an adulterer who's proud of their sin. If it's exposed, it's an embarrassment. I've never met an ice addict who wants to go into elementary schools and teach kids this is how we smoke ice. So I understand there's a desire in every person to be loved and accepted. And I would never give a pass to any professing man or woman of God to be hateful, to be a bigot. However, I cannot support what the Bible warns will lead to eternal death. I'll never forget a statement made by my spiritual father, Steve Hill, as he was calling all sinners to repentance. And I was one of those sinners. And he made the statement, it stuck with me, I'm reminded so often, the reason you're not happy is because God's not happy. And I wonder at times if what we feel like is oppression or judgment coming from other people is not actually 
coming from other people. But the Bible says that God resists the proud. And I wonder if the resistance that we feel at times when we choose to stand in pride is not hatred or bigotry coming from other people, but it's actually resistance coming from God. But God is gracious. And he gives an invitation in this very same text. If you humble yourself, I will lift you up. There is more grace. So come to me and I'll come to you. I will cleanse your sinful hands and I will heal your broken heart and I I will restore you and I will raise you up. But we have to come to him. We have to acknowledge my hands are stained and my mind is wrong and my heart is broken and I need a savior. So I told Leah we're Walmart people now. And I told her that she can't drink Bud Light anymore. She's never, she's never had a drop of alcohol touch her lips. So I don't, someone's going to take that clip and, oh, what kind of church is this? I'm so thankful. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I was forgiven freed the relationships I long for the significance the love that I desired and hungered for that every one of us do I never found it in others I never found it in experiences I didn't even find it amongst the people of God because it was that which could only come from God himself and you can have it You can have it no matter where you are, no matter what your struggle is. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Godly sorrow produces repentance. What is That's what James was talking about when he says, Lament and mourn and weep. Why? Take seriously your sin. And get it right, get it cleansed, get it forgiven, and it will produce repentance leading to salvation. Everyone say salvation. That's a powerful word. Have you been saved? Have you been saved? Look at what he says. He says not to be regretted. You know, I, I still have never met the meth addict who says, since I began meth, boy, my life has gotten better and better. Everything's just uphill for me. It's all just gotten wonderful. No, every addict that you've ever met, the story's the same. They're broke. Their relationships have been shattered. Their mind has been fried. Their spouse left them. Their kids don't talk to them. It's been one downhill spiral since they started on that track until today. But on the contrary, have you ever met a Christian I regret the day I gave my life to Jesus. I've never heard that testimony yet. That's why Christians are so obnoxious. You need to come to my church. You need to get saved. You need to, that's why you get people that will go out at Coconut Grove and witness. What is wrong with these people? Friend, something happened. Something happened. 
when I encountered God, I received salvation and I've not regretted it a day in my life. I have been moving from glory to glory to glory. My marriage, my family, my habits, my life, my income, every area has gotten better and better and better. That's what happens when we humble ourselves. Oh my. All right, I got one more, one more idea, and then, I, and then we'll close. Are you guys still with me? Hallelujah. So we've talked about our spiritual position. We talked about our earthly position. And now, thirdly, is our eternal position. And this is, this is very simple. Our eternal position. James 4, 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother or judges his brother speaks, uh, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So let me tell you, first of all, what this says and then what it does not say. First of all, there's one judge. I don't get to decide who's going to heaven and who's not. I don't get to decide who's going to make. There's one judge and there's one lawgiver. And I trust him entirely. One judge and one lawgiver. And I trust him entirely. What this does not say, this is not a, a, a prohibition against all judgment. You understand, there's people that I chose not to allow to babysit my children. Praise God. And I think I did the right thing. I made a judgment. Are you judging them, Pastor? Absolutely I am. Hallelujah. There are people that I don't let work in our kids' ministries. Praise the Lord. Why? Are you judging them, Pastor? Absolutely I'm judging them. And the Bible tells us repeatedly, especially amongst the brethren, that we are to rightly judge. That we are to rightly, what do you think discernment is? That is God's judgment being released. So I see things the way that he sees things. I don't want to judge. Be careful with that, friend. The Bible never condemns all judging. People will quote Matthew 7. Now, this was a tragedy. I heard that John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was recently replaced as the most memorized and quoted verse in all of Scripture by Matthew 7, 1. Anybody know what that is? Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's so telling of where people are today. People get this. I had somebody ask me, somebody in our church on one occasion, I want to get a tattoo on my chest that says, only God can judge me. And I said, you don't want to get that tattoo, friend. In fact, to quote one theologian, he says, judge not lest ye be judged. The response to that is, twist not scripture lest ye be like the devil. Now, so you say, okay, well, if that's not what it's talking about, Pastor, what is it talking? It's not a condemnation against judging. It's actually a condemnation against hypocrisy. Because Jesus goes on to explain, friend, the measure by which you measure somebody is the measure God is going to measure your life by. So you understand, when I preach to you the way that I'm preaching to you today, God is going to hold me. I can't preach this word to all of you guys and say, hey, listen, we need to stop missing the mark. You need to cleanse your hand. God's going to hold me to the same standard. You understand? And that's what it is. So that's why we're careful. 
Friend, if you've got some secret sin in your life, don't you dare go around starting beating people up over the same sin because it somehow makes you feel better. God will call you to account for that. And that's a scary thing. The other thought on this, only God can judge me, I tell people, and he will. And that should scare you. Well, I'm going to be right on Judgment Day. Are you going to be right on Judgment Day? Hallelujah. You're going to be right. We're going to be free. So what, this, what is this passage talking about then when it says do not speak evil of one another? Well, it's talking about don't slander people. Don't, uh, don't speak evil of one another. Don't defame one another. Don't make, now we do not make judgments based on the external. Well, this guy's dressed nice, so we're going to let him sit up front. And this person looks like they come from a poverty background, so we're going to put them in the back. James chapter 2 gave us that exact example. So we're not going to give preference based on the appearance of wealth. No, we're going to attempt to see people the way God sees people. Because he's the judge. And he's the lawgiver. Now, let me give you the application of this. We know that God is the one who decides whether we're going to heaven or whether we're going to hell. And if we humble ourselves, we acknowledge our sin, and we're cleansed of unrighteousness, then guess what, friend? You have the joyful expectation of eternity with God Almighty. And that's a joy. But the Bible here is giving us warning. What have we talked about today? How? When we humble ourselves, God gives position. God gives authority. We talked about today how when we submit ourselves, God cleanses us, forgives us, and boy, we're going to begin to move from glory to glory to glory. Now, here's what I want you to, this I think is what James is trying to warn us about. Don't you dare get upset with God. When you watch some heathen come into the church, They repent. They get born again. And all of a sudden, you watch some anointing come on their life. And God begins to elevate them. And then they're leading life groups. And then they're planting a church. And they're laying hands on people. And they get, don't you question whom God is raising up, whom God is anointing. That's what James is talking about here, friend. He's the judge. And he's the lawgiver. And if he sees fit, I'm going to put an anointing on this one. I'm going to raise him. I had somebody... Worship team, you guys come. I'm going to close. I actually had somebody in my first weeks walking with the Lord. I had gotten saved. I came out of that horrible drug world, and I uh, came home. And I'm so thankful. I had a small group. Everybody needs to get in a small group. We're going to launch about 30 of them in a couple weeks. And so you need to get in, in a life group. I got plugged into a life group. It's the only reason I stayed on track with God after I got born again. And I got in there, and I started receiving the teaching. And then I began to assist the very same way that we do. And then my life group leaders began to ask me. I'm like six months old in the Lord. And they began to ask me, would you bring the lesson next week? Would you teach? And I'll never forget, there was an individual who was there, a part of that life group. And they were so offended. I have been faithful to the church my entire life. Why is he teaching? He's only been saved for six months. And they were deeply offended at what God was doing in my life. She began to speak ill of me, defame me, and became a judge. That's what God is condemning. What we need to begin to do, I I look around here, man. You know what? We're all in process. 
Some of you today, God's speaking to you. I got to get this junk out of my life. I need to cut the drugs. I need to marry that girl. God's speaking to us. But I'm going to rejoice as God begins to elevate people. As God begins to anoint people. As God begins to increase upon people. He's going to use us. He's going to use you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he judges rightly. Wow. Can we stand all across this room right now? We're going to pray. (laughs) Jesus issues a warning. This is one to take seriously in Matthew chapter 20. He talks about a farmer, a vineyard. A master goes out and he hires a number of workers. He goes and recruits all these guys and they agree. I'm going to pay you this much if you work for me today. They agree. They go. They go to work. He goes out halfway through the day, brings back a number of other workers, and uh, they begin to work. They begin to labor. And then he goes out again. And with one hour left in the day, he brings these guys in, and, uh, and they all work. Then the day is done. They all line up, and he begins to pay them. But here's what seems unjust to some. These guys who have worked all day receive a particular payment. And the guys who worked a half a day, and even those who only worked one hour, received the same exact pay as those who had worked all day. And the guys who worked all day, they get upset. They're like, how are they? They only worked one hour. We've been working all day. And he said, you agreed to this price before you ever came out and worked. And now that they've received just pay, you're going to complain? And Jesus gave this as a warning. There's going to be people. You're going to get to heaven, and you've served and honored and loved the Lord. And then there's going to be people that surrender their lives on their deathbed, and they make it into heaven. And there's actually going to be people that are upset. Like, wait a second, Jesus. I was faithful all these years. You're telling me this guy just scraped in at the last minute and he gets to receive the eternal reward of heaven? Yep. He's just. And I trust his judgment. I'm not questioning it because he's Lord. He's God.